Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. You guys can be seated. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. Really appreciate Lance. Did a great job last week covering the last 12 chapter, or twelve verses. And uh, so I got a... I was really wanting that text. You ever want a text for yourself? You ever fight over a text? But he said he was trying to get in on the series with me. So I said, okay, yeah, you can have the next text. Man, I love Galatians because it's just all about Jesus. So if you love Jesus, you'll love Galatians. And if you like legalism and you like tradition, you won't like Galatians. Paul just passionately is pleading with this fledgling church that he birthed. The oldest letter, the first letter that Paul probably wrote. It's the one thing, it's the one letter in the Bible that even very liberal scholars would agree that Paul actually wrote. I think he wrote all of them, but it's consists consensus among all of the academics that Paul wrote this letter. And there's sometimes when he's got this pen, it's like he's almost dipping it in acid when he's writing, as he's passionately playing with them and saying to them, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? As he's continuing to to pour his heart out, and in chapter 5 at the first, we find out what God's after, what Paul's after, and, and that's freedom. So we find out that it is for freedom (laughs) that he set us free, that you are free to be free. And then he goes on a diatribe against these Judaizers who slipped into the church and trying to add the works of the law to the work of Jesus. And now in verse 13, he goes back to the topic of freedom And when he goes back to the topic of freedom, he's defining what freedom is. How many of you know we need a definition of what freedom is? Because when we don't know what freedom is, what are we free to do? Who are we free to be? That a lot of times we interpret freedom in a libertarian manner that means I'm free to be me. That was my best Branson show. What's that song Frank Sinatra wrote? I I did it. I did it my way. But the Bible defines freedom in a different kind of way. The Bible defines freedom as who owns you. The Bible paints two pictures and two categories where Paul says you can be a slave to righteousness or you can be a slave to sin. You know, everybody's clamoring about what's theirs And how nobody can tell anybody what to do with what's theirs. 
my body, my rights, my this, my that. That's not the Christian reality. Because the Bible says you were bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your spirit. That you're free, not in a libertarian sense to where you live however you want to live and you make the decisions however you want to make them. Because here's why. We're all connected to each other. And the decisions you make affect other people. So you're not free to be you. Jesus Christ sets you free from you so that you can consider your brothers and sisters and your family and live in a way that's honoring unto him. You are free from yourself. That you are the prison that you're living in and it's your desires that are, is killing the purposes of God in your life. And so God would send his spirit and say, I will pur- purchase you. You are mine. So quit living for yourself and start living for me. Well, Pastor Matt, that sounds so restrictive. Well, it is until you pass through death and then resurrect on the other side in the power of the Spirit. Then you realize what real freedom is. It's that biblical freedom that put us in a position to identify with the life of Christ as he's identified with us because he shows us the path to freedom. And it doesn't make sense in our mind because I think love is a commodity that can be parsed out. And when I live in that reality, I project that onto God. And I project that on to every relationship I have. So, I love you 5%, <laughs> love you 10%, you've done pretty good to me, so I love you 20%, and it's like love is this pie chart, because we're, squ- we're scared there's not enough to go around, as if love is an entity that could be divided up and we could run out. But the Bible says God is. Can he be parsed out and exhausted? But when we live in that kind of light, guess what we do? We project it onto God, and so we think God loves Mother Teresa like 80%. He loves Billy Graham like 90%. But little old me, he's got like 2% of love for me, and that's just... And so we settle... Because we live in the wrong paradigm of what love actually is. That love is inexhaustible. And I'm only truly free to the level I'm able to lay my life down and give myself. And this is a reality that can't really be taught. It's just got to be experienced and caught, right? So when the Bible says if you want to gain your life, you've got to... You're going to lose it, right? Seems antithetical. It seems like it seems like, man, if I give myself to others, there's going to be nothing left for myself. 
But it's in the giving or the laying down of life where actually the reciprocation of life comes back. And so Jesus is, is, is showing us through Paul of how to get free. You want to get free? Get outside of yourself. And find your freedom in him which would consider more than your own personal interests. That biblical liberty is not free to do whatever you want. You're free from yourself so that you can live in such a manner that would consider the community and not just your own felt needs. See, the evil of selfishness is to put something of greater value under something of lesser value. So if I exalted myself above the church, that would be an evil. Why? Because the collective church means more than just myself. So that would be the evil of selfishness. But what's of the highest value in all the universe and, and of all that there is, is King Jesus. So if he's of the highest value and he's King Jesus, then he's only one place he could be so that the order of everything else falls into line and the structure of everything else begins to work. So when I give my life and I give my life to him, suddenly... I've now created the right order and structure for my life. So from that relationship with him, everything else trickles down and suddenly I'm free from myself, but I'm also free to be me. Because unless you give your life, which is your ego, your psyche, what you've created and projected to everybody else that is you, until you hand over that and all its vulnerabilities and all of its weaknesses and, and just get open and honest. And when you hand that over to him, you're almost scared to, right? Because you're like, is he even going to accept this? I remember when I first came to the altar, I thought, man, I'm going to go down here, but I don't even know if God's going to hear with all the stuff that I've done. But then you go down there and there's this beautiful exchange. It's like he takes your life and says, I'll take that. And then he gives you his. And then it's in his you find yours. <laughs> it's just amazing. So Paul's trying to lay out freedom here for us, but he lays out freedom in the way of responsibility. But if you want to be free, you better be responsible. Because with that freedom and that ability to choose, you're affecting a lot of others with each and every decision. We are made for connectivity, so naturally there's consequences from the decisions that we make. So Paul is getting us to this theme of freedom, and now he's defining it. And that the freedom that Paul has is not lawless, there's ethical demands that flow from it, but it's different than what the Jews had in the Mosaic law with the law of Moses. So there's a few things here that Paul kind of fleshes out for us. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh. But through love, serve one another. So he's defining freedom here as here's this great things God's given you to be free, to not have to wear the weights of guilt and condemnation and all these things. But all that weight that God took off of you is to empower you to do what God has called you to do. And that's to love one another and to serve one another. So you are free, but you know what? You're free to serve other people. That you're free enough to get outside of your own ego that you could wash somebody else's feet. That's what you're free to do. You're free to go places and do things other people wouldn't go and do. Because the love of God has motivated you to go to places that nobody else would go. That this freedom that Paul's talking about is a freedom to live like Jesus. It's a freedom to bypass my rights for the sake of someone else. And all that takes place within the context of a community. So how does this play out? Well, it might play out like this. In our community, we have a lot of people struggling with, that, with addictions. So you're not going to see Pastor Matt going out on the town and having a beer. Why? Could I do it? Sure. Do I have the right? Sure. But I consider my community more valuable than my wants or desires or my needs. So it's not some legalistic thing. It's there's too much to lose. So I'm empowered by love to put my rights to the side. To say what's best for Christian unity and witness and love. That's what you're free to do. You're not free to tout about all the little trivial things that are, are the gray areas of your life that you're thinking that this Christian liberty has given you the freedom to do and then to make fun of the older generation that had all these legalistic rules and thank God we're not doing that. That's not why you're here. You're here to put yourself aside and to find yourself in him. And to put him as your foremost consideration in everything that you do. And unity between your brothers and sisters and unity between you and him means more than anything that would tickle your fancy. Amen. The freedom that Paul talks about is a freedom like Adam and Eve got in the garden. It's a responsibility. To keep Satan out and to keep tending the beautiful place that God's trying to create. This is what you're free to do. Be fruitful and multiply. 
the kingdom of God on the earth. This is the freedom that Paul is saying. Don't use it as a, another place. He says, don't use it as a cloak for a vice. Don't use it to cover up a vice and make it holy. Use the freedom of God to empower you to serve others. Serve God and Just consider what he has for you. Love can't be parsed out. That love is bigger than that. And what I've found in this thing is that the more I'll give myself to him, the more I get back. Because it's kind of scary, because this love thing's scary. That, man, I've been serving the Lord probably close to 20 years now, all on, full out. But in my service to Him, I keep finding out there's things I need to be delivered of and attitudes I need to get out of and things that. There's always more. So I'm free to allow God to go deeper to a place I've never let him go before. To give him controls to areas I wasn't aware of until the Holy Spirit highlighted them. You know what you're free to do? You're free to do the right thing. And you can be smiling while you're doing it. (laughs) It was like, man, Christian life sure does sound boring. I'm like, shoot, I didn't start having fun until I got into this thing. I mean, you get a little distance from Egypt. Egypt looks good sometimes. But we never remember the bondage and the hurt and the beatings. The devil only takes you back to that one good time. When you had those leeks and watermelon and onions and garlic. It's never as good as you remember. (laughs) That's why we live forwards, not backwards. But this is what we're free to do. You're free to worship. So Moses comes in. Pharaoh, the greatest nation at the time, with God's help and plagues and crazy stuff going on, he liberates the people and he takes them out of the most wealthy established city and then takes them into a desert. Not only does he do that, while they're leaving, they get favor and people start handing them gold. So they're like, got the bling on. Pockets full of gold. Where we going? God about to take us. <laughs> Woo! Look, God to fill my pockets. We going. And then he took them in the desert. God, there ain't nowhere to spend this. 
Exodus 25, 8. Build me a tabernacle where I can worship and meet with you. That you got blessed so you could build something where we could meet with him. That's why he blessed you, because he wanted to meet with you. And you know it's bad when God isn't enough. And what Paul keeps doing in the Galatians is he is enough. If God's blessed you, it's to build a tabernacle. If you're going through lean times, it's to build a tabernacle. <laughs> that one will just like a, look like a rock altar like Abraham. No. Both of them are meeting places for God. Amen. Tribulations, meeting place that drive me to God. Blessing, praising, while I just get to brag on how good God is in my life. And when each one of those drive you to the Lord and not away from him, because some people get blessed and then forget who blessed them. And then some people, the first little time they stub their toe, they're ready to give up on everything. But when tribulation and blessing can both be forces that drive you to him what could stop you so he takes a bunch of people out in the middle of a desert and says build me a tabernacle so I want to come meet with you they were set free to worship <laughs> oh surely they were set free to go enjoy their personal endeavors well, yeah, there was some of that built in, but no, they were set free so they could actually worship the one true God. Pharaoh was defeated so that they could live their best life now. No, Pharaoh was defeated to show God's name was great and that a people would be under the name of Yahweh to show the nations who the one true God actually was. And they would be defined in their exchange and worship with him. We're getting bread today, okay? Sometimes God's serving wine. Sometimes he's serving bread. He's serving some bread. Pause defining freedom. Don't use your freedom to walk the gray areas of the Christian life. Use your freedom to go headlong into Jesus and give him all of your And that takes on its own life in different communities, right? It can look different in different, in different places. So why does God get nailed to a cross, buried in a grave, just to get raised back up again? Because it's the only way he can get any glory out of us. Because the Bible says you've been crucified with... Romans 6, in baptism, you've been buried with. And when you get born again, you get born of the. That everything that happened to Jesus happened to you. That's why you can't complain to him about your wounds. 
Because your wounds are his wounds, and his wounds are your wounds. It's not the ground of complaining, it's the ground of exchanging. Come on. It's the ground of saying, yeah, I probably deserve this. And he said, yeah, I didn't. Let me heal it. It's the exchanging of wounds. Your wounds are mine and my wounds are yours. Your resurrection is mine and my resurrection is yours. <laughs> it's really beautiful. Even the ascension. You've been seated with him in heavenly places. It's like you're everywhere he is. So live like it. Live like you're everywhere he is because you are already. We better get going. We're never getting out of here. Okay. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment. Wasn't that great? You must love your neighbor as yourself. This is where you need the Pharisee to rise up and say, uh, who's our neighbor? <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, okay. Verse 15. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. So he's trying to get them to live by the freedom that can only be found in the Spirit of God. And whenever a church operates out of something other than the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to minister, to preach, to teach, to pray, we then have to resort to ministry out of our own strength. Ministry out of our own strength is ministry out of the flesh. So suddenly, instead of fruit, we're in works. And even the works of the flesh can look good. But you know, when, you know how to identify the works of the flesh? People will be filled like they're owed something. Grace brings you to gratitude. Works brings you to you owe me. Haven't I done enough? So Paul is trying to get them to this place of if you keep operating in your own power, you know what you're going to do? You're going to turn to cannibals. And can you imagine the body of Christ eating itself alive? You imagine the body of Christ harming itself. And this is the imagery that he's drawing. He's saying, you guys aren't cannibals. You're family. Brothers and sisters. But I say, live by the Spirit, and you, not, and you will not carry the desires of the flesh. Most translations say, walk by the Spirit there. So there was a way of behaving. And we use that today, right? We say, man, their walk with God is strong, or I appreciate their walk. It was this kind of interchangeable. It was like, if I'm walking, where I'm going to is motivated by something. Okay? So to identify a walk would be, what is the motivating factor that's moving my life into a certain direction? And that's the epitome of a walk. What is motivating me? What is pushing me? What is moving me towards? And then 
Let me look at what direction I'm going. Where am I headed towards? And if it's towards things that are not of him, then I have to ask myself, am I walking by the Spirit? Because the Spirit always says, the Spirit and the bride say, come who? Lord Jesus. So if my walk isn't headed towards him and beckoning towards him, I'm walking according to the flesh. So Paul is trying to get them to say, man, if you will walk by the Spirit of God, your true north will always be towards more of Jesus. And so you have to ask yourself, what's my true north? Is it complaining, backbiting, gossip, uh, bad attitudes? Uh, if that is my walk, if that's my... I'm not walking according to the Spirit. I'm walking according to the flesh. And if I'm walking according to the flesh, I will fulfill the desires of my flesh. So Paul is pleading here. He's saying, you've got to get your true north, your compass set back towards Jesus because you're either going towards Jesus or you're going towards the flesh. And Paul just erases all this gray area. Of, well, I'm just living my life. You know, I'm just in a struggle right now. I'm just... That's fine. But are you moving towards Jesus? Or are you moving towards the flesh? So Paul is saying, look at your walk. What you're walking towards is what is motivating you. Something in your heart. It's something on a deeper level. Verse 17, for the flesh has desires that are opposed to the spirit, and the spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you cannot do what you want. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So it's kind of like this. The Spirit obeys the law unto itself because the Spirit is submitted to the law. Okay? So the Spirit would be like an identity or a nature. It would be something that moves towards that direction not because it's trying to kind of like this god is love right god doesn't try to love right like god's like oh i better love him oh i can't stand it oh okay i guess i will <laughs> it's just what he is so when you are filled with the spirit of god and you're motivated by the spirit of god and he is the lord of your life you're not trying to live for him. You want to. <laughs> you do it because it is your nature to seek him. Yes. 
So when you have the competing of these two natures, what I've learned is which voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the voice of God and is that going to be the motivating factor of your life? Are you going to learn to trust that voice? Are you going to quiet that voice and are you going to listen to the other voice? Because it's the other voice on the inside of you, the internal conversation. You ever have that? <laughs> it's okay if you're talking to God in the eternal conversation, in the internal conversation, but when you start talking to yourself in the eternal conversation, you get really confused, don't you? Isn't that funny? So when I shut down the voice of God in my life, suddenly another voice rises up and gets louder. And it's the voice of Satan. So this is the nature that we inherited from Adam. Because when Adam listened to Satan, he didn't just disobey God. He obeyed Satan. He exchanged his lordship. He faithed the new father. But here's the problem. Satan's never created anything and never been the father of anything. So we have an orphan spirit crying out to someone who doesn't know how to be a father. Where is listening to that voice going to go? Chaos, destruction, death, evil, flesh. That's where it's going to go. That an orphan voice would be talking to something that's not a father and would be getting advice. Because I'm going to tell you something. We talked a little bit about this with Clarence and Zach. Satan's name, he doesn't even have a name. The Satan, Hasatan, means adversary. Like he doesn't even have a name. Like with God, we've got Yahweh, we've got Abba, we've got Father, like we've got things we can put some skin on. He's the adversary. <laughs> or the great dragon. Or the serpent. Do you see what I'm saying? He is these realities that aren't anything creative. They're only destructive. So he is the adversary. So the question is, who is he against? What is he the adversary of? That's one answer. But you know what he's really against? Everything. He's anti-everything. This is, and this is, here, here's the case in point. You ready? You ever had Satan influence you and get in your ear and then you, you bought it? You bought the lie and then you did it? And then that same voice come around and condemn you for what you did. Yeah. See, he wasn't like, you obeyed me. Woohoo! Whereas I think God's like, when you obey him, he's like, yes, that's my son. That's my daughter. Let's go. Because he's for you. Right. Satan will lure you into something. He doesn't go, woohoo, I got him to do something evil. He goes, oh, look what you did. 
He's anti the act and then he's anti you when you do the act that he told you to do. He's not for anything. And that is the voice that's in your flesh inherited from Adam. And some of you are listening to that voice. And it's going to destroy your walk with God. It's going to destroy your family. It's going to destroy everything that you hold sacred and dear. And you don't care. You think it's trivial. Listen to God. He's all you got. Get out of your feelings because that's the flesh. Get into God and the spirit of God and move with him into the great things that he has for you. Because if you'll lay down the hurt and you'll lay down the rejection, he might just heal you. And then you can be free to love other people and not live under the tyranny of how bad you feel about yourself and you've got to project that onto everybody else and make them feel crummy. You're free to be free to be you and to love God. You're free to love yourself. You're free to love him. Sorry, I lost it for a moment there. I'm glad you wore your hoodie. You got all the, you know, it's fit today. That God wants the inward parts. That when they're sacrificing bulls and they're sacrificing stuff, I'd be like, if I said, okay, I'm going to cook a meal for God, you know what I would do? I would get the biggest T-bone, prime ribs and ribeyes. You know what God says? Burn all that outside the camp. I want the liver, the guts, the intestines, and that's what goes on the altar. That God says, I'd rather have the ugly parts that are real than the outward parts that you deem to be more useful. God rather have liver and onions than he had a T-bone steak. Why? Because the real dirty guts parts of our life, that's what he's going to have to have you. And that's the part you're afraid to give him because what if he rejects it? He won't. He created you. He loves you. He didn't hang on a cross to shame you. He showed you, I'll shame myself before I shame you. I'll cover you with my shame. I'll go to the most shameful place to come find you. You can trust me with your shame. Paul's saying, man, if we were going to get free, you know what real freedom is? Being able to take the inward parts into God. And put them on the altar as a burnt offering. And say, God, here it is. We're trying to give him prime rib. And he wants some chitlins. (laughs) I got some Louisiana folk here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. God says, I'm not trying to write on your skin. I want to write on your heart. Let me write my story on your heart. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Obvious. (laughs) Okay, you ready? Obvious. Obvious. 
sexual morality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I'm warning you as I had warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's the part where most pastors explain all that away and make you feel better about your sin. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to allow the weight of that scripture to drive you to your knees to repent so that you might get a hold of the spirit of God and be free for once in your life. Yeah. So notice here when he describes flesh, look in verse 19, it's the what of the flesh. Y'all can, I mean, it's right, right behind me, I think. Works of the flesh. Hmm. Now, when we get to the good stuff, verse 22, but the, so we have, and we got, hmm, he's teaching us how to produce this thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So he sees works as the part of our flesh a part of the suit with its sin nature that would rise up and motivate those works. Remember, that's part of the curse. Curse is the ground for your sake. You'll have to be toiling. And there's no guarantee of a harvest because there's thorns, thistles, pestilence, grasshoppers, locusts. But when it comes to the things of the Spirit, fruit. Have you ever went by a tomato plant while it was trying to make a tomato and hear it and then put your ear to it and hear it go, <laughs> Tomato. <sighs> tomato. You can laugh, Trish. You don't have to look at me with that look. Man. Love, joy, come on. Looking at me mad, man. We'll fight after church if you want to do that. Yeah, it works of the flesh, Trish. We're talking about the spirit here. It's fruit. But that fruit is produced... Because that's just what it does. It's natural. And the problem with all of our churches is we're all trying to copy each other. And we've just got this kind of like factory thing of service. And we all walk out cookie cutter all looking the same. And it's like, no, that's not the body of Christ. Everybody has their own expression and we're all unified in our diversity. The church isn't a factory, it's a garden. (laughs) 
It's a garden. And the garden grows. And fruit doesn't tell me if something's bad or good. It just tells me what kind of plant it is. That fruit comes out of identity. I know who I am. How could I not produce? How can the Spirit of God not produce? That's where we've got to get to. If I'm in the Spirit, how could I not produce? Like it would be weird for me to not produce if I'm walking, right? But we get in these struggles and these drudgeries and we're beating ourselves up and we're slapping ourselves around. Man, God must be proud. No, I don't think he's proud at all. I think he's grieved with everything that he's done from the cross to the resurrection to sin and Holy Spirit to empower us to just be. And we're still trying to earn it by the sweat of our brow. That what would happen if we just took God at his word and just got in agreement with him <laughs> and said, okay, God, your promises are yes and amen. So I say yes too. <laughs> oh, surely it's not that easy. <sighs> Maybe it is. Maybe if we just act like who we truly are, that we wouldn't have to try to do anything. We would just be the thing. But that would involve a lot of trust and a lot of vulnerability. That would involve the inward parts. Verse 24, and now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. So here Paul is bringing it back to Unity, call to harmony to bring everybody back. That Paul isn't giving us some more commands to follow. He's telling us to walk in the spirit and we'll follow the commands because we're walking in the spirit. (laughs) That he's getting us to the root of who we are that we are good trees that produce good fruit. And if we will accept that, walk in that, you'll start to see some good fruit in your life. But the only path there, I want Jesus more than I want anything else. I want the Spirit more than I want anything else. Because anything and everything 
is aimed at distracting you from that reality. So that you wake up, the years passed. You wake up, 10 years have passed. You wake up, 20 years have passed. You wake up, oh yeah, I was going to do that Jesus thing that, oh, when I get to this stage of life, I'm really going, oh, when I, and it's like Jesus saying, what are you running from? Family? Love? Acceptance? Forgiveness, the blessings of God, healing. Why would we run from that? Why would we buy into that lie? It's because our flesh is sometimes louder than the spirit. But what I found is the more I'll listen to the Spirit, the better my ear gets to hear the tone of his voice. <laughs> God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So, Lord, we put our hands to the plow and we follow you. No more striving, no more suffering. No more falling into our own traps so that we can tell everybody about how much of a martyr we are. No, those are traps we set for ourselves. Those are seeds we sowed. So Lord, we rise above that. Because we are free but we are free to worship you. And we are free to love others. And we are free to not be offended. And we are free not to hand our happiness and joy into the hands of others who don't know how to handle it. <laughs> that we keep on to that because that belongs to you. We don't give that to others. God, we are all yours. So God, teach us to produce fruit. <laughs> the way you lived. You just were you. <laughs> so teach us to be us in you. And to just be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.